Hello, welcome to Fuel. Well, tonight we're going to continue our journey through Revelation. And in this session, we're going to come to the most actually famous section of the book. This is the part of the book that everybody thinks about when they think about the apocalypse. Because this section that starts in chapter 6 and goes to chapter 19, it covers the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is that seven-year period of judgment on planet Earth that ends with the second advent or second coming of Christ to the earth. And this section houses the contents of the things Revelation is known for. In this section, we're going to see the seven seals broken, unleashing judgment on the earth. We'll see the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride out to fulfill their missions as part of the breaking of the seals. We will witness the blast of the seven trumpet judgments, and we'll watch as the Antichrist and his false prophet are revealed. We're also going to witness a war in heaven between the archangel Michael and Satan, which will result in Satan's casting out of heaven. This section is also where the number of the beast, 666, as well as the mark of the beast and the image of the beast are foretold, and a lot more. So this is a wild part of the book, and it's actually a very technical part of the book, so it's easy to get lost in. So my aim is to give the big picture first and then bring it all together piece by piece in as clear a way as possible. And this is so important because right now there's a lot of deception and false teaching surrounding these events. So I want to encourage us to be students of the word. The best protection against false teaching is the whole word of God. And the best protection against false teaching surrounding the end times is the whole book of Revelation. Not just bits and pieces here and there. So that's why we're going through this book verse by verse. The reason why is so that we will become so proficient in what the word actually says that we will be able to quickly identify when it's being twisted. Amen. That's what we're after. So now we're going to begin covering chapter six in this lesson. So let's go over what it's all about. First, we're going to continue our overview of the tribulation. Understanding the big picture will help us not get lost in the weeds, so to speak. Then we're going to cover the seal judgments. And as part of that, it will include the infamous four horsemen of the apocalypse. Just a note on this. There's a story out there that has made its rounds during the current crisis we're in that we are at the time of the four horsemen, the fourth horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, is that true? We're going to talk about that in just a second. We're also going to cover tonight a major technology statement that's made here. Now, a technology statement in the Bible is when a writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes a statement that is beyond their technical understanding because the thing that they're speaking of has not been invented yet. And so we're going to see technology statements are one more witness that the Word of God, the Bible, is authored by God himself because Revelation has several technology statements that we'll highlight as we go through, this one tonight being our first. All right, so let's get going with our tribulation overview. Many of us watching were impacted by the Washington tornado of 2013. But for those unfamiliar, on Sunday, November 17th, 2013, more than 70 tornadoes struck across the Midwest and the South. And Washington, Illinois, a city of 15,000, about 145 miles southwest of Chicago, was struck with the worst of them. And around 11 a.m., an EF4 tornado 
tore through the town. It spent an hour on the ground, and its path stretched a stunning 46 miles, shattering the peace of what was an unseasonably warm fall morning. It left a trail of destruction that took years to recover from. And what many remember is the suddenness of this event, the speed at which everything changed. One moment we were doing life as normal. People were at church. I was barbecuing. And in an instant, this powerful tornado blasted through and raised everything in its path to the ground. And the suddenness of a tornado is a good way to describe what we're talking about tonight, the tribulation and how it's going to unfold. For the past 2,000 years, the world has known that the time of the end would come. But it seemed at times that it was never going to happen or that it would happen someday in the future, but nothing to be concerned with in the right now. And the reason for that is God is long-suffering, not willing for any to perish. But when the tribulation does hit, it will hit with all the suddenness and the power of a tornado. But instead of just impacting one community, it will impact the entire world. And there are signs that its time is near. But what are those signs for? Those signs are there to wake people up. And I, I give to you the things that are happening in the world right now should be waking people up to their need for God and to the salvation he offers through Jesus. And so this is a word for the church. The church needs to be incredibly careful in this wake-up hour to make sure we don't get caught up in the madness and the distraction and the outrage of the day because we need to focus on Jesus and focus on getting people to Jesus because this current crisis is a wake-up call. And based on what we're seeing and what the word says, there may not be much time left. The tribulation is not here yet, but it is coming. And you and I... And those alive right now have more reason to believe than any other generation that we could be that generation. So we need to be in prayer. Amen. Now more than ever, we need to be living for God with all of our hearts. And we need to be loving people, praying for people, and helping people get to Jesus. That's our mandate. Now, let's clearly answer the question, what is the tribulation? The tribulation is the seven-year time period at the end of human history, in which mankind's decadence and depravity will reach its fullness, with God judging accordingly. It will also be the period of time when God finishes his program for the nation of Israel. It will also be the time where many believe a huge revival will occur and many will turn to God during these judgments. Now, the question that's always asked when you talk about the tribulation is this. Will the church go through the tribulation? Will we be there? And when I say the church, let me be specific. I mean those who have repented of their sins and by faith trusted in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross and consequently have been forgiven for their sins and released from the punishment their sin requires. That's who the church is. Will these folks be present at this time? As I've shared numerous times, I believe through my study over the years that the church is not going to go through the tribulation. I believe that strongly. Uh, that is what I believe scripture teaches. I believe that for multiple reasons, several of which I have been sharing and will reemphasize as we go through. However, our faith is not in the pre-tribulation rapture. Amen? Our faith is in Jesus. 
Several years ago, I was taken aback when I had a discussion about this with a friend. He was talking about the pre-tribulation rapture as if it were a matter of fact, and that anybody who disagreed with him were undoubtedly 100% wrong. You ever know anybody like that? So that led me to ask him a question. I said to my friend, hypothetically, if you found yourself smack dab in the middle of the tribulation as described in scripture, would you lose your faith? And his answer floored me. He said, yes, and I would be mad at God. And that bothered me, bothered me for my friend. But what bothered me more is the thought that there were many more people like my friend who might lose their faith because they didn't know or didn't acknowledge that biblical scholars are not in 100% agreement about this, about the timing of the rapture, because the Bible leaves room for more than one possibility. Like I said, I don't believe we're going through. I believe we're going to be watching these events from heaven. However, if I find myself in the tribulation, I have already decided by God's grace, I will not lose my faith. I will not blame God, and I will do my best to glorify him in that scenario. Because at the end of the day, my faith is in Jesus. Amen? Not in the timing of the rapture. It's wise for us to have our thoughts on this, but it's also wise to prepare our hearts in case we have it wrong. Amen? Now, some more facts concerning the tribulation. Tribulation is perhaps the most documented period of time in all the Bible. We know a lot about this seven-year period because it's mentioned as early as the book of Deuteronomy and is reinforced throughout the prophetical books in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Jesus himself speaks very clearly about this time during his teachings concerning future events. Tribulation is known by many various names throughout the Bible. It's known as the Day of the Lord. It's also known as the Day of Trouble. It's known as the Great Tribulation, which refers to the more intense second half of the seven-year period, the second three-and-a-half-year period. It's known as the time or day of trouble. It's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress, which is a specific reference to Israel's suffering during this period. And now, before we move on into our verse-by-verse study, I want to call your attention to one other major trademark of the tribulation, and it's this. The Holy Spirit will be restraining evil no longer. You see, the Holy Spirit has always been in the world, but he has been so in a a unique way since the day of Pentecost, since the birth of the church. Since that time, he has been inhabiting followers of Christ and has been restraining evil through them. That's why Jesus called us the salt of the earth and the light of the world, because while we're in the world, evil cannot have full reign the way it wants to. The Holy Spirit indwelling the churches are restraining influence. But since we believe in the pre-trib rapture, we understand that when we are taken off of planet Earth, that restraining power will go with us. The Holy Spirit will still be in the world, but not via the church. And so therefore, evil will be much more rampant. And we are seeing trends of that even in our time. That's the way that mankind is going as it, it rejects God. No wonder Jesus said that unless those days were shortened, no flesh would endure. Now with our preliminaries done, we're ready to watch the beginning of the tribulation. So turn, if you would, to the book of Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 1. John continues to give us his eyewitness account of what is happening in heaven. 
And now we're going to see what's happening in heaven has a direct result on earth. Revelation 6, 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so what we just witnessed is the first four seals. Jesus has broken them in heaven, and each seal corresponds with one of the fourth four horsemen. So let's break it down. The first horseman is found in verses one and two. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now remember, to get the scene, the visual, at the end of chapter uh, 5, Jesus takes the seven-sealed scroll from the right hand of God the Father. And we remember, we said that this scroll is the document that contains the full detailed plan or the operation order of how the kingdoms of this world will transition and become finally the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. So by Jesus taking it from God the Father, all of God's created intelligences know at that time that now is the time. And so all of creation erupts in praise to God the Father and to the Lamb of God, the one who has redeemed mankind and who is worthy he's worthy to redeem god's fallen creation j vernon mcgee says what's happening now he says this is the revelation the unveiling of jesus christ he is no longer walking among the lampstands the church for they have all been removed from this earth he is no longer the high priest standing as intercessor. That's not necessary anymore. But he is now the executor of God's will upon the earth as he opens the seals of the book. Now, as we said, the breaking of the first seal begins the tribulation on earth. And these first four seals directly correlate to what have become known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So the way to visualize these first four seals is the following pattern. One, the lamb breaks the seal in heaven. Two, a horseman of the apocalypse rides forth on his horse. And then three, there is a consequence or a reaction on earth. Now that first seal releases the first horseman. He's on a white horse. He has a bow. He has a crown. And he's going forth as a conqueror. At first glance, one might think that this is Jesus. 
After all, we do see Jesus in Revelation 19.11 riding on a white horse. But look closer. This rider is somebody who looks like Christ, but isn't Christ. He's an imposter. And so what we are witnessing here is the first ride in the first rider. It's the Antichrist. He resembles Christ on his white horse, but he is not Christ. He's not even wearing the same type of crown. He has the Stephanos, the victor's crown. Jesus wears the victor's crown, but he also wears the diadema, the kingly crown. The Antichrist can never wear the diadem because he's an imposter and the diadem, the ruling crown, only belongs to the Son of God. Next, he has a bow as his primary weapon. Jesus's primary weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Antichrist can't use the sword. He has to manufacture a counterfeit. He uses a bow. Some see that as a reference to artillery or missiles, indirect fire, because the bow is a weapon of distant combat, just like artillery is. Next observation about the Antichrist. The world is prepared for him. The world is waiting for him. Things have deteriorated into such a mess on planet Earth that people are afraid. In that kind of environment, they are looking for a strong leader who can fix what is broken and protect them. It's under these conditions that this wolf in sheep's clothing is going to slip in. Now, verses 3 and 4. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, the second Another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. So now the second seal is broken, and the second rider appears on the second horse, the red horse. This rider and this horse can simply be labeled war. He's going to take peace from the earth, and that men would kill each other. He has a great sword. This, again, is not the sword of the spirit but it is the war, sword of war and destruction. Now, verses 5 and 6. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked and behold a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A cord of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So this third seal unleashes the third rider on the third horse, the black horse. The rider is holding a pair of scales in his hand. Think of those scales as produce scales that you would weigh food on because this represents, this horse and rider, they're bringing worldwide famine. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius tells us that the famine and inflation will be so bad that a person will have to work a full day to be able to afford just a quart of wheat flour. Or he can get three quarts of the cheaper barley for the same day's wages. It'll be a time of worldwide famine. Now, verses 7 and 8. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Okay, so, like I said earlier, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. We're going to talk more about all of this, but let me zero in on the fourth horseman because... Uh, there is a word going out, a, a, a rumor going out, if you will, 
that we are now in the time of the fourth horseman. And the reason why people say that is because the fourth horseman, it talks about pestilence. And so they connect COVID as a pestilence with this verse. And they're correct in in saying that COVID-19 fits the term pestilence because pestilence is also translated plague, right? And that's what um, a disease like that is. It's it's a plague, right? And, and so... And so they have then taken that information and then leapt to the conclusion that this is where we're at. And this is why it's so important for us to be people of the word and for us to take the word verse by verse. Because as we look at, and as I'm going to break this down here in just a minute, but as we look, look at all these, uh, these four horsemen so far, we understand that what's happening now on planet Earth is bad. But it is not what's happening there, what's in view there. The worldwide war simultaneously with the worldwide famine, right? And all that chaos that's ensuing there. And if you were paying attention, you noticed 25% of the Earth's population has died at this point. And so um, what is COVID-19 then? Where are we, according to this, if we're not at the fourth horseman. Well, I believe that COVID-19 falls into what Jesus called birth pangs. Birth pangs are the labor pains that are uh, signs that tell us that Jesus' coming is near. Okay? And they, these birth pangs, just like a woman, when she goes into labor, we know that the child is coming soon. When these birth pangs, they prepare the environment for what's coming next, right? A big birth pang was 9-11. Uh, what happened there impacted the globe, and it changed the world. And on the other side of 9-11, the world was more like the world we see in the book of Revelation. I believe COVID-19, as we come to the other side of this, we will be even more in position for end-time events. And I would not rule out that COVID-19 could be one of the final birth pangs before we see all these events unfold. And so while we're not at the fourth horseman, I believe we're still very close to these events. Now, let's break down these four horsemen in, in, in their big picture. Things now go from bad to worse on our rebellious planet. The combination of the famine and war are combined with pestilence and the wild beasts of the earth. And at this time, 25% of the earth's population is now wiped out. Remember again our Lord's words, unless these days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. In the initial years of the tribulation, and this is the takeaway, the population of the world will decrease 25%. Think about that. By the way, that number is based on the post-rapture population. I pray that we have a tremendous revival before then so that many never experience this. Wouldn't that be awesome? Now let's continue on. Verses 9 through 11. 
When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they were given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. So this fifth seal, pretty obvious, it indicates worldwide persecution. We are seeing under the altar of God those who are with God because they were killed for following Jesus. They were killed just for doing what you and I are doing right now. And it's a fact that the 20th century was the worst it has ever been according, uh, as far as persecution goes. But that's until the 21st century. In 2018, Newsweek published an article with the following headline. Christian persecution and genocide is worse now than any time in history. You see, in North Korea, Saudi Arabia, China, Iran, many other places, being a Christian can lead to harassment, incarceration, and death. This intensifying persecution is just one more sign that we are living very close to the end of days. Unfortunately, during the tribulation, it's going to be worse. Those who come to Christ during this time will be fiercely persecuted. And now we come to the sixth seal, the climax of the seal judgments. John gives us this report. He says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and watch this now, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. This is the technology statement we talked about. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? So we have now come to the climax of the seal judgments. Six seals have been broken. Now there's one more seal, but as we're going to see, the seventh seal will actually release the next level set of judgments, the seven trumpet judgments. And so this sixth seal brings an intensification. There's a great earthquake. This is an earthquake that affects the whole world. And this will be the worst earthquake the world has ever seen up until this time. The dust that kicks up from the destruction caused by it changes the way we see the sky. The sun looks like it's been eclipsed. It's totally blacked out. And when the sun appears, it's blood red. Stars falling to the earth and indicates at the same time intense meteor activity. Picture what's going on on planet earth. Then it says the sky was split apart like a scroll and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Here's the remarkable technology statement we spoke about 
during the intro. Notice John says about this earthquake that it causes every mountain and island to be moved out of their places. That sounds like dramatic figurative language. Like the earthquake was so powerful, it felt like it was powerful enough to knock islands and mountains around. But the word of God is precise, and this is not figurative. This is literal. And we know this now because of technology, and we can point to the earthquake in Japan in 2011. On March 11th, a 9.1 undersea earthquake rocked Japan. And what happened is that this earthquake literally moved Japan out of its place. The earthquake moved Japan eight feet, and it shifted the earth on its axis by four inches. So when God says that every island is moved out of its place, that's exactly what happens. Now this verse also says that every mountain was moved out of their places as well. Check this out. There was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Nepal on April 25th, 2015. And as a result, Mount Everest literally moved one inch. So let's take in the implications of this verse. How do we know that Japan or Mount Everest moved? Well, by using GPS. Did people in John's day know that earthquakes moved islands and mountains out of their places? Not unless they were using GPS back then. So what we're seeing here is an amazing technology statement. John couldn't have known this information, and yet there it is in the Word of God. It's another amazing proof that the Bible is the Word of God because it gives reference to information that we could only know in hindsight with technology. Amen? This chapter now finishes up with the surviving world crying out, and acknowledging that the day of wrath has come. And so that's where we'll close out. Notice it uses the phrase, wrath of the Lamb. Don't miss that fact. That's another text that supports the deity of Christ because only God has the right to pour out wrath. He's the only one in position. And here is the wrath of the Lamb. Now remember, we said these judgments are going to be like spiritual alarm clocks. They'll start off at a certain intensity and then there'll be a pause before the next set of judgments. That pause is going to be an opportunity for people to respond. Some scholars believe that now that they know the day of wrath is here, many who were on the fence will make a choice to turn away from sin and to turn to follow Jesus. It'll wake them up. And so that's where we'll end this session on that pause. Like that EF4 tornado swept through Washington, we have just seen a massive storm sweep through planet Earth. Now there will be a divine pause, a calm after the storm, but also a calm before the next storm, the storm of the seven trumpets. Now next week we will dive into chapter 7. Chapter 7 is going to give us some details about what's going on during this pause. And it's a really fascinating chapter, and especially so if you have ever had anybody knock on your door and tell you about the 144,000 witnesses. If you have ever wondered what the 144,000 are all about, we're going to explore it in detail next time. And we're going to decode it, and we're going to see it's something that is very edifying and powerful. And so on that note, until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and yours.